Know Your Food with Warty, episode 95. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 95. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at Traditional Cooking School by Ganalfglins. You can find me at traditionalcookingschool.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about embracing whole foods, raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Welcome, everyone. You may have noticed I took a week off from knowyourfoodpodcast.com, and that's really because the week before um, was Thanksgiving and we were quite busy. And um, also, we were getting ready for my parents to visit us. They took a road trip, and they stopped here for just shy of a week, and we had a wonderful visit. And I'll tell you why they came. They came because I turned 40, and they decided that their oldest daughter was turning 40, and that was worthy of spending the birthday together. And it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift. As a family, we went to the Oregon coast and spent a day. Then we had lots of time at home. My mom made a wonderful birthday dinner for me. It's an Arabic meal. It's called mechi, which um, is uh, it's a dried herb, uh, mechi leaves. And she brought a big bag of them. And what you do is you simmer. We had a leg of lamb roast one night uh, for dinner. And so we had the bones and we actually roasted two leg of lamb because they were fairly small and we were a large crowd. So we had two bones with a lot of meat on them and she um, simmered those for a long time with the dried herb leaves. Um, she um, seared garlic and um, we also, because there wasn't quite enough lamb, we also got out a package of lamb stew meat. And so, you know, over an hour of simmering and we had this really mineral rich, flavorful, oh, just amazing broth with lamb and garlic that we then served over rice, brown rice. Um, so that was my birthday dinner and it was fantastic. It was so good. Um, So we just had a wonderful visit, and that meant that I didn't get a podcast out. But I'll tell you what I did get out that I want to tell you about. It's not a podcast, but it's a short video. My parents have a pizza oven, an outdoor pizza oven that my cousin Greg built them. And um, as you may, may not know, but right now in our uh, traditional cooking school membership, we are cooking outside. So we have lessons on pressure canning outside, pressure cooking outside, using the camp stove, Um, taking your portable electric appliances outside during the summer to beat the heat and just all kinds of cooking outside. Open fires coming up, sun ovens coming up. Well, my parents have that pizza oven, so I did a little bit of begging. Like, could you please, could you please film that? Could you show it to us? And so I believe it was late summer that they did. They did a day and they made gorgeous pizzas. They also made pocket bread and Middle Eastern pizza and they filmed it with their iPhone. And, um, so the, uh, the videos were still on the iPhone when they got here. And so one of my first, um, priorities for their visit was let's get those videos off. And so the first day we got them off, um, onto my hard drive and we just looked through them. And then every day I worked a little bit on this project. So by the second to last day of their visit, we had a script and we had all the clips narrowed down and selected. And um, 
went back and forth with my cousin Greg who built the oven to make sure we got the specs right. And anyway, we now have this less than four minute video for you. Um, it's actually for members in the class, but it was so fun. Um, and I wanted to share with the world what my cousin Greg is doing because he's built dozens of these um, all over the world. And so I just wanted other people to experience it. So you can experience this quick short video of um, my parents' place in Montana, their outdoor pizza oven, a little bit about its construction, and then the beautiful process of making gorgeous pizza, pocket bread, and Middle Eastern pizza in this outdoor oven. You can go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash pizza oven, where pizza oven is one word, and there's the video for you. Um, it's very short. You'll enjoy it. Um, there's also some pictures below with more explanations and links to um, information from my cousin Greg, a book he recommends, a link to his place in northern Denmark where he and his wife and kids have a ceramic art center, bed and breakfast and cafe. They're doing wonderful things. Um, so just check it all out. Again, it's knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash pizza oven. And that's what I have for you um, instead of a podcast last week. And now let's do the tip of the week. This comes from Melissa Norris, who's a writer at the Traditional Cooking School by Ganalfglin's blog. And we have a great and timely post for you this week. It's real food makeovers for your holiday recipes. Because here's the thing, we have holiday recipes, we've grown up eating. The family might possibly rebel if you didn't have that, you know, cake or relish or whatever it is that you always make at the holidays. Well, Melissa's given us tips for making them over so they're real food friendly um, healthy. They're healthier. So she's got a great set of tips for you at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash makeovers. She covers what if you need a cream soup? Well, she gives you an alternative to make your own cream soup base so you avoid all those preservatives and processed foods in those cans. Um, she tells you how to deal with the, the problem of sugar. She tells you um, an alternative for eggnog, which homemade eggnog is not really an alternative, it's the way it should be. So we've got a recipe linked up there for you, uh, making your own eggnog that is absolutely out of this world. And also healthy fats. You know, a lot of holiday recipes may call for um, shortening um, or, you know, basically it's shortening. So what do you do about that? Well, she tells you which traditional fats work work well. Now I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to give you a tip for, for the tip of the week today. So I'm going to cover the sugar idea. So you've got recipes that you want to make over. They've got a lot of sugar. So here are some strategies for you. First thing right off the bat you could do is just reduce the sugar. Most recipes can cut by at least um, a quarter cup per one cup of sugar. So 25% without anybody knowing the difference. And often um, you could even reduce it by a half without anybody notice. At least that's our, um, that's our experience in our family. Another thing you can do is use honey instead. Now, honey is sweeter, so you use less honey than you would sugar. So Melissa's recommendation is to start by adding half the amount um, in honey as sugar and then adjust to taste. Now, because honey is a liquid, that means uh, you're adding liquid to the recipe, so you need to reduce the liquid in the recipe accordingly, and it's usually for every cup of honey, you'd reduce the other liquids by an eighth cup or so. Um, if you don't want to use up your, all your raw honey in baked goods, which, you know, definitely an issue, um, here's another option for you. You can use less refined natural sweeteners. So you could use organic sucanat or rapadura, 
coconut or palm sugar, date sugar, maple sugar, maple syrup, or evaporated cane juice. And the last one, evaporated cane juice, is the most refined of the unrefined choices. Here's some guidelines. If they're dry, like all the ones I listed really except for maple syrup, you just use it cup for cup according to the recipe. Um, Remember, you can reduce it to taste. Um, If the recipe is calling for powdered sugar, then you take your dry sweetener, and the ones that work really well for this would be Sucanat and Rapidura or evaporated cane juice, and you whiz it in a blender until it's finely textured. You're just making it into powdered sugar. Um, It works fantastic. If you're using maple syrup, but the recipe calls for a dry sweetener, you'd want to reduce the liquid in the recipe by an eighth cup or so per cup of maple syrup that you're adding. So it's the same thing as honey. But if you've got a recipe that calls for a liquid sweetener and you're using a dry sweetener, you may need to increase the liquid by about an eighth cup per cup of sweetener. These are all general rules um, to get you started. You may have to do some tweaking. But anyway, that's how to substitute less refined natural sweeteners. Now, the final tip is about stevia. Um, You could use stevia, which is a sweet herb. It is not sugar, so it doesn't have the bulk. So um, you can't you know, there, there may be a recipe where like, it's like, I have a cookie recipe. That's the sweetener is honey and honey is the liquid in the, um, recipe. You can't possibly substitute stevia. You can't possibly substitute, um, a dry sweetener unless you made a syrup out of it. So you got to use stevia in recipes where sugar is just the sweetener. Sugar can't be a bulk in the recipe. It has to be just a sweetener. You know, like you sweeten hot cocoa or you sweeten a smoothie um, or you sweeten like your your cheesecake filling. Um, You can do stevia, okay? And the general rule is one teaspoon of stevia is each cup of sugar. So you can see that's a huge reduction in volume. So basically it's things you would sweeten to taste. So instead of using sugar, you're going to use stevia. And like I said, it's a super sweet herb. It's not sugar at all. My, um, my favorite brands are new naturals or sweet leaf. And right now I'm really liking sweet leaf. It doesn't have a bitter aftertaste. Um, and whether it's the powder or the liquid, it's just fantastic. They also have these little teeny tablets and they're perfect size for a cup of tea. But anyway, um, what brand you choose will, uh, and be sure to pick one that doesn't have extra ingredients. Just you want pure stevia. Um, And the strength of stevia varies according to brand. So you're going to have to adjust to taste, um, you know, depending on your taste and the brand and the recipe and all that. But um, stevia is a, a good option as well. So That's it for the sugar tips. Um, You can refer to all of these at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash makeovers, whether you want, you know, a record of the sugar tips or you want to investigate the cream soups, the healthy fats, the eggnog, and the other things that Melissa shares um, in this, uh, in these tips to give your holiday recipes real food makeovers. So then, you know, your family's not rebelling, you're not giving them up, but you can feel much better about serving them. Hi, I'm Wardy, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at Ganalfglins.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you, too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com free, and I'll show you how easily you can do it, too. 
I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at-a-glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So, if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com free today. Okay, well, I am just tickled to be spending this episode focusing on uh, your questions about sourdough. Recently, um, I sent out an email to, you know, just about everybody who was actively in this um, email series that I offered on getting a sample of the sourdough ebook. Um, it includes um, a pan- sourdough pancake recipe and how to start a starter and some general tips about getting started with sourdough. It's a sample of our full ebook, which is the Sourdough A to Z ebook. So I sent everyone who was kind of active in this email series a question, an email with a question, and it was, what are you dying to know? What's your single biggest problem? And I got a wonderful response. And so I've spent, and this was um, like just before Thanksgiving. So I've spent some time looking through everybody's questions. There's really some common threads. And so what I decided to do was to devote a podcast episode to answering the most common questions. I think we might end up with a long episode here because, um, well, it depends on how uh, how much I have to say, but we've got some great questions to answer. And I just want to say up front, thank you so much to everyone who did submit questions because it's very helpful to me. I've been working with sourdough for a long time. And so I'm kind of to the point where I don't think about it that much and I don't necessarily know what's hanging people up. So to hear from you what's hanging you up helps me to know better um, how to help you, which is my goal. Because I want people to love sourdough and really succeed. And so you just communicating with me what your issues are helps me do that. Um, and so I really appreciate it. So I'm going to tackle uh, this first. We may, it, this may turn into more podcast episodes. We'll see. Um, but I'm going to tackle kind of the most common questions right now, just one at a time. And Again, the comments for this podcast are at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 95. So if anyone wants to follow up, whether I'm answering your question or you're tuning in because you love sourdough or have questions, be sure to, to check in at the comments with a, of the episode with your additional thoughts or questions. Again, that's at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 95. Okay, so we're going to start with Kelly H. She's having trouble rolling out tortillas and pizza crust. Here's what she says. I'm having the most difficulty making sourdough tortillas and pizza crust. I've tried them both a few times, and the dough is so thin and sticky that I can't even roll them out. I do fine with sourdough English muffins and sandwich bread so far. These are the only things I've tried, and I'd really like to get them down pat before I go on to something else. Okay, so Kelly, let's talk about this issue. Um, sourdough is very powerful. The starter, especially if it's combined with your dough and it's very warm, um, really is amazing at breaking down gluten. So if you sour your dough too long, um, things like tortillas and pizza crust won't roll out. And that's because the gluten has been broken down to the point where the dough just breaks instead of has that gluten resilience where it'll roll and spring back. So my number one tip is, or my number one question for you is, how long are you souring your dough? And do it less um, if the length of the souring time is causing this. Um, In the summer when I start pizza or tortilla dough, if I let it, and the summer's hot, and if I let it go overnight, I very well can't roll it out in the morning. 
Um, if I let it go 24 hours, you know, no chance of being able to roll it out without breaking. So you got to lessen it, you know, six to eight hours. Realize in, in when it's hot um, and you sour less, it's not that you're less effective because the warmer the temperature, the more this, the starter is working. So you get m- more activity in a shorter amount of time. So you have to, we need to be flexible here. You know, what's the temperature? And time our souring for effective reduction of anti-nutrients with the temperature. You can do it less if it's warmer. If it's cooler, you do it longer. Second thing I want to make sure is what flour are you using? Um, are you using whole wheat pastry flour by chance? Because that is not going to roll out well or make a great um, tortillas or pizza crust because it simply doesn't have the sturdiness of the hard wheat, um, the hard wheat would. Another thing is spelt can be a little bit more fragile when it's rolling out. Um, so if you're using spelt, that's not ideal for especially tortillas. A pizza crust, you're not rolling out as thinly and you can kind of press it out. So spelt tends to work great, but it doesn't work great for tortillas. So I'd recommend blending spelt and hard wheat, or if you don't do hard wheat at all, and we find ourselves in this situation now, we just avoid the modern wheat. Um, Do another ancient grain like kamut or einkorn or emmer, and you may find you get a sturdier dough that can roll out. Hope that was helpful, Kelly. Thanks so much for your question. Now, here's a common question I receive a lot, whether it's on the Facebook page or email or on our forums. Um, Michelle W. is asking about the smell of her sourdough starter. She says, thanks for all the advice. My starter is bubbling. I have two questions. Number one, it doubles in size much faster than every 12 hours. Should I feed it less? Um, and two, and this is the, the main question I'm going to answer, it doesn't smell lovely. I'm not sure how to tell whether or not it's rotting. Okay, well, let me just quickly address the first one about doubling in size. If it doubles in size much faster than every 12 hours, um, that's totally great. You don't need to feed it less. You might, if your temperature is very warm, need to feed it more. If it's going through food too quickly, um, and you get a smell that doesn't have to do with it transitioning or building up strength or whatnot, it might be running out of food, so feed it more often. Um, I don't know what your temperature is, but hot, warmer summer temperatures you need to feed more often than twice a day. Um, and I don't mean everybody with warmer summer temperatures. I mean like hot summer temperatures. Um, kind of normal summer temperatures at least twice a day. Um, so now let's address your doesn't smell lovely. Well, you're just starting out a starter. I'm gathering from your question. And it's normal for a starter, you know, you, you don't have a strong colony of organisms, the starter's organisms yet. It's going through transition. There's organisms in there that are battling it out for who's going to win and establish this strong starter colony. So it's normal for it to go through a transition period where it doesn't smell quite right. So the important thing is to make sure it has food regularly and to just keep at it. If it's bubbling, um, then you know that it's active and it's being fed. And so it's working. You just got to give it time to settle down to normal. I've shared this um, before on the podcast, but um, I had a sourdough starter for a couple years and it, it came from Cultures for Health, the New England starter. 
And then my daughters wanted to start their own starters from scratch. So we were using spelt flour and they started spelt starters and they took off great. And so then we had three sourdough starters on the counter and they all changed from being around each other because the organisms were kind of competing from bowl to bowl. And especially mine took a nosedive and it smelled really bad and it stopped being active until all that transition period was over. I mean, they were sharing organisms and finding a new normal and it took a week or two. Um, I can't remember exactly, but you know, it was definitely more than a few days for my starter, especially, but theirs went through transition too to rebalance. And now I've had that starter for a couple years again, and it's, I would consider it a new starter. It's sort of a blend of the New England culture with our native culture here. So everything you're explaining is totally normal, Michelle. And if you want to ask more, just visit the, uh, the podcast show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 95. Okay, I've got a question here from Carol C. She says, I've not been able to make a good bread recipe that my husband likes. They are too heavy or too whatever. He really doesn't like it. What do I need to do to get a good loaf of bread? Well, Carol, I have a great, um, great idea for you. And it was recently shared by Aaron. And Aaron is uh, my co-teacher in the Sourdough A to Z ebook, as well as the Sourdough e-course. She's a avid sourdough baker and comes up with these awesome ideas. So she just came up with one the other day. We both love easy things and we both love the English muffin recipe that's on the blog and in the book in the course. And she was like, it's such a great recipe. I wonder if I could turn it into a bread. And she did. You basically make the English muffin dough. Um, and at the end, one of the steps is you make the, the, yeah, the dough, it's the sour, the flour starter and water, and you let that sour for eight hours overnight. And then right before baking, what you normally do when you make this, the English muffins is you add the salt and the baking soda. And the baking soda um, just reacts with the acid and puffs up your dough. It also um, um, neutralizes acidity because soda sweetens. And then you, you know, bake your English muffins or you cook them on a cast iron on the stovetop. Well, instead of making the English muffins, Aaron shapes this into a loaf and you get the poof of the sourdough starter, the sweetening of the sourdough starter, and you end up with a light and fluffy, sweet loaf of bread. I really think your husband will like it, Carol. So what I want you, what I want you to check out is knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash soda bread. So the recipe is right there on the blog for you to try out. And then I just want to point out that... Um, I don't know what recipes you've tried with your husband. I don't know if you have our book or not. But if you don't have our book, we have a lot of recipes in there, or our course. We have a lot of recipes in there, you know, like um, cinnamon rolls, for instance, or muffins, um, or pancakes, where we're adding some baking soda, and that real right before baking on these kind of recipes, and that um, really adds a lift and it adds a um, a sweetening. And I just believe I misspoke. We don't do that for the cinnamon rolls, but there are recipes that do that. So we've got a great selection of recipes there for you. Um, but first thing you should do, check out the soda bread, see if your husband likes it and let me know, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash soda bread for the recipe. You can leave a comment there or knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 95. Okay, now we're going to hear from Lily A. She says, my biggest issue now is just starting. 
I saw the video, and this would be the video on how to start a starter, um, which everyone can find, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash starter. And she says, and I know I'm more than capable of doing it, for, but for some reason, I just don't dive in. I have so many things I'm working on, learning and doing. This one is the one that gets put on the back burner. I'm sure many people don't just start out of fear. I think I'm past the fear, but I still have a block. So hopefully in the next two weeks, I can do it. Well, Lily, you are not alone in this. You'd be surprised, or maybe not, um, how many people I hear from who say, I just got to get my head around it, or I just have to, you know, prioritize it. And I experienced this myself. Um, There's so many things that I want to do. And, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's like, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes we need something more crucial to put it to the front burner, if you know what I mean. Like, um, let's say, this is not a sourdough example, but, you know, you're stuck in a rut for cooking, right? And you're cooking the same meals over and over. And someone in the family says, you know, makes a comment about, you know, the food's boring or I wish we could have such and such. And this happens to me. I get a remark like that and the next day I'm making it <laughs> because I want them to love the food we're making. So if if somebody says, oh, we haven't had spaghetti in a while, you know, it goes on the menu the next day. So um, maybe you need someone in your family and you can imagine it to say, mom, I really want some sourdough pancakes and then, and then you make them. But I just want to encourage you. You don't have the fear. That's great. Um, maybe you need that inspiration. So I, I'd love to provide it for you, but maybe it'll come from your family members. The other thing that can help with, um, you know, this, this, or that helps explain this, I've been there, you know, you could do it. It's just like, you need to do it. And there's this mental hurdle of, you know, new habits, um, new ingredients, maybe using your kitchen differently, um, you know, it, it may, it may take the person you watched only five minutes or 10 minutes to do it, but you know, very well, it's going to take you an hour. So the kids have to be settled for an hour. You just need that hour where you're not being tugged on from all these different ways. You just need that hour, um, to focus without distraction. So there's all, I mean, we're busy moms. There's all kinds of reasons why we just don't do those things that are on the back burner. So I'd like to encourage you if you really want to do it, which it sounds like you do, to, um, you know, find that reason why you need to do it so that you will. And then schedule the time. Um, If you have Saturday mornings when, you know, the kids are all off somewhere else with their dad, um, you know, I I don't know. And Christmas is a busy time. So maybe, maybe you wait till the first of the year, but, um, or if you, if you are, um, a morning person and you get up early. So instead of, you know, working on that sewing project, you give that hour to the kitchen for sourdough. And I do want to say that with sourdough, um, (laughs) you, you probably don't need an hour. Like if you're starting a starter, you just really need five minutes and you're just mixing flour and water in the jar. And once you do it the first time, um, the, and then you come back in the evening and feed it, well, you've already gotten over the hump of, you know, that new habit because it's it's, it's really a, just doing it to get you to the point of doing it and then you can do it. You're just checking in every 12 hours and stirring in some more flour and water. So I really think you can do it, Lily. So what I want you to do 
um, if I can provide the inform- the inspiration for you is I'm just telling you to do it and let me know how it goes. Knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 95. Okay, we have a question now from Stacy. She, and it's, it's cute. She starts out her email with two words, dense loaves. <laughs> I let the loaves rise for about four hours in the oven with the light on, but they didn't rise much and the loaves were dense. They also took a lot longer to cook than the recipe called for. Thanks for everything you do. I really appreciate it. Okay, Stacy, well, I've got some tips for you. First of all, you could try that soda bread that I just mentioned earlier knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash soda bread. You're adding soda at the last minute to really help the rise, uh, baking soda. Um, but let's, let's assume you want to keep going with this recipe and, um, to have it rise and cook in the right amount of time. So number one is what was this, what was the state of your starter when you added it to the, um, when you created your bread dough, it needs to be in an active domed bubbly state. That's where there's the maximum number of organisms that are happy and ready to do your bidding in the dough. And the bidding in the dough is to rise it, proliferate throughout it, um, break down the anti-nutrients. So you, it's not as important to have an active starter when you're doing pancakes or English muffins, but it's crucial with bread toast. So you're, you need to feed your starter in the morning or, you know, if you fed it the night before, it's probably past the active state by the morning. So what I usually do is I feed the starter first thing in the morning on a bread day and I try to do it early. And then depending on the temperature of the house, it needs probably well, it's depending on the temperature of the house. It could be two hours. It could be five hours before it hits that active domed bubbly state. It's a little bit domed on top. It's got lots of bubbles and it's just beginning to spill out the hooch. And that's act. That's the active height of activity, height of the culture, height of everything. And that's when you make your bread dough. So if you are doing it, if you're making your bread dough before that or after that, um, that will affect you're rising. Another thing is you said you've got the, the, um, dough in the oven with the light on. Um, maybe it's still not warm enough. Maybe you need like buy a wood stove or a fireplace or proof it in the dehydrator or on top of the refrigerator. Um, because warmth is crucial for bread to rise and sourdough is, um, much more versatile than commercial yeast, but if it's cool, it's still not going to, um, it's still not going to rise like you want it to rise. I don't know what flour you're using, um, but you could try switching up your flour. Uh, it's also possible you're using too much flour and you need to back off on it. Um, I find that a slightly sticky dough makes much better bread than a, a drier dough. Of course, if it's too sticky, then it's wet and heavy. So there's a place in there. And when you're kneading it, do you feel that it's springy or do you feel that it's really resisting you? Um, If it's really resisting you, that's a sign there's too much flour. But if it's warm, soft, pliable, really springy when you're kneading and a little bit sticky, um, you're much more likely to get a light and fluffy loaf of bread that rises well. Also, a key in that is the temperature. So I hope all these... um, all these ideas give you some somewhere to go, um, some ideas of what to tweak and test. And I'd love for you to have um, a successful loaf of bread. So be sure to let me know. The show notes are at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 95. Okay, now we have Cloudy. 
or Claudie. Um, and Claudie, congratulations, she is about to give birth. She's scheduled for a C-section, her fourth C-section, in just a couple of weeks. And here's what she says. I will be pretty busy and not going to the kitchen. I don't think I'll be making bread for about four weeks. So I'd like to know the best way to care for my sourdough starter and make it as low maintenance as I can for the person that will help me during the first month of getting to know the new member of our family and recovering. Yes, I have a great suggestion for you. Um, the easiest way to do low maintenance starter is to feed it and give it about a little bit of time for the organisms to like, you know, just start eating. Um, so, you know, half hour, hour, two hours, and then put it in the fridge and you don't need a vast quantity. Just keep it to a half cup or less. Keep the lid just partially on because as it's cooling down in the fridge, it'll still be active. Um, and then when it's completely cold, a couple hours later, you cap it all the way. And then you actually uh, could just leave it there until your four weeks is up. You don't have to do anything. So that's very low maintenance. Now, the rule is that once a week, you'd pull it out and stir in a tablespoon of flour and a little bit of water and, um, and put it back in the fridge. So that's ideal once a week. But I'll tell you, I've had starters in the fridge for months and I pull them out, and it may take a little bit to revive them, a couple days, but they do come back. So I'm just telling you what my experience has been and what the rule is, and either way, you've got a very low-maintenance care for your starter, and you can take that four-week break. You could take a, and a six- to eight-week break if you'd like. And I just want to wrap up um, answering your question, Claudie, with a big congratulations on your fourth child, and we just pray you have a wonderful birth and recovery. Okay, and our final question comes from Leslie G. She says, my single biggest problem with sourdough is getting tender, crusty, well-risen loaves. I am sure that my kneading needs work, but I need a hands-on demonstration for technique, length of time, and proper feel of well-kneaded dough. Okay, Leslie. Well, I think some of the tips that I've already shared to prior questions will help you about, you know, the feel of the dough, the amount of the flour, the warmth and rising, the active starter. To address your specific desire for hands-on demonstration, I want to invite you to um, try out traditional cooking school because that is the whole point. We have an exhaustive sourdough e-course where we have hands-on demonstrations of everything we make. I mean, we've got muffins and pancakes and waffles and bread and cinnamon rolls and fritters and cookies and every single one of those recipes, Erin or I or Katie, who comes in with her honey whole wheat bread, show you the consistency of the dough and how we work it. And that is the beauty of um, videos, isn't it? So um, you can go to traditionalcookingschool.com info to get info on our online class and um, check it out because I think it's exactly what you need and I'd love to help you. Okay, so we are at the end now. And I just want to thank everyone who submitted questions and all of you for tuning in. And I want to just remind you that if you have um, additional questions, thoughts, or comments, you can go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 95. want to make sure you check out the pizza oven video, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash pizza oven. And of course, the tip of the week on make doing the makeovers on your recipes is at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash makeovers. God bless you all. I'll talk to you all again soon. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, just type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air. So go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. While you're there, please do leave a rating or review. I love to get them, love to read your comments, and they're invaluable to help other people find this podcast. Thank you so much.